Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Have you heard this before? A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither does anyone take a lamp and put it under a bowl Instead, they place it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. In the same way, your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will pass away until everything has been fulfilled. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches my commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, and don't miss this part, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, who curses his brother or sister, is answerable to the courts. And anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, if you come to a religious service, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your enemy who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your enemy may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into jail. And I tell you the truth, you're not getting out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, That anyone who looks lustfully at another woman 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Therefore, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard it was said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You have heard that it was said long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or toward Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for who of you can make even one hair white or black? Jesus hadn't heard of hair coloring projects, products at the time, but... Uh, who of you can make even one hair white or black? Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. Now you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone wants to take your coat, Give them your shirt as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow. For you have heard that it was said long ago, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, who causes the Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get for that? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your own people, if you only talk to the people that you know and that you like, what are you doing more than all the other people? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the street corners to be honored by others. For I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Why? So that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, 
don't keep on babbling endless, repetitive, meaningless words like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So when you pray, pray like this. Would you join in with me on this part? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they love to disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So when you fast, put oil in your head and wash your face so it won't be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And while you're at it, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eyes are the lamp of the body. If the eyes are good, the whole body will be full of light. But if the eyes are bad, if they're greedy and selfish and focused on the wrong things, the whole body will be full of darkness. And if that light that is supposed to be within is actually darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the, bear, the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? Why did you worry about what you were going to wear this morning? Look at the flowers of the field. They don't toil or spin, and yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his wealth was never dressed like one of these. If that's how God dresses the flowers of the field that are here today and tomorrow are thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Ladies, that last part's for you. What will we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these other things will be added unto you. And do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And while you're at it, judge not, lest you be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, hey, let me take that speck out of your eye when all along there's a huge log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs or they may trample them underfoot and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Whoever asks receives and whoever seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your child asks for a piece of bread, you would give them a stone? Or which of you, if your child asked for a fish, you would give them a poisonous snake? None of you. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So simply do unto others as you would have them do unto you For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For broad is the gate. And wide is the path that leads to destruction. And many will find it. But small is the gate. And narrow the path that leads to life. And only a few will find it. And while you're going along... Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, of course not. So likewise, every good tree produces good fruit and every bad tree produces bad fruit. Good good trees don't produce bad fruit. Bad trees don't produce good fruit. But I tell you the truth that every tree which continually produces bad fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your your name, and in your name cast out many demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will look at them and say plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Whoever hears these words and puts them into action is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down 
and the streams rose, and the winds beat against that house, but it did not fall because it was built on the rock. But whoever hears these words and goes away unchanged, doesn't care, moves on, doesn't practice them, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came down, and the streams rose, and the winds beat against that house, and it fell with a mighty crash. Take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 5. If you have your phone with you and you want to open there as well, you can open a Bible app on your phone and and look at Matthew chapter 5. This morning we're starting a new series of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Those words just then that I wanted to to speak over us, to have us know what it was like to hear just a little bit what it was like to hear those words from Jesus that are called the Sermon on the Mount. They're found in Matthew, and then they're also found in another form in Luke. We're in a series of messages right now going through the book of Matthew, so we're looking in particular at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is where the Sermon on the Mount is found. But this morning, I want us to just do an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount and to think about what do those words mean? And even more than what do they mean, why do they matter? That's the question we're trying to get at is why do those words from Jesus matter? If you look there in Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible and you look at verses 1 through 2 and and it's also up on the screen as well. Before you actually get into the Sermon on the Mount, here's how Matthew starts this, this section. Now, when he saw the crowds, he being Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and then the words for the Sermon on the Mount follow after that. You can see that, and we talk about this each week, or we at least try to talk about it a little bit, When you read your Bible, read actively. Underline, circle, write questions in the margin, draw shapes, do whatever you can do just to engage your mind and your heart with God's Word. All of the words that are in green up there represent the different people who are represented in the story. He being Jesus, we've we've seen Jesus' life up to this point. The crowds, the crowds are those who are watching from the outside what Jesus is doing. The disciples are those who have already committed themselves to following after Jesus. And you might say, so why does that matter? What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. There are some people who come to church on a Sunday and you're a part of the disciples. You are committed you're following after the Lord. You want to know him. But there are also people who are interested in Jesus. There's a lot of people in the world who are interested in Jesus, but they're kind of turned off by the church. That, that might even be your story. You want to know about this Jesus guy, but you've been burned one too many times by, by the church. Those people are the crowds. 
those who are curious about what Jesus is doing, curious about what Jesus has to say, and so they're kind of watching from the outside. And so you have two groups of people Jesus is talking to. You have kind of an inner circle of disciples who were sitting around him, and then you have these large crowds that would come and follow after Jesus to listen to him. And it says in verse 1 that he went up on a mountainside. I want to show you where this mountainside is located and wouldn't you know it, I forgot my fancy laser pointer this morning. So uh, there is kind of an orangish, reddish arrow up there on the top right. The blue body of water that you can see kind of in the middle of the screen is the Sea of Galilee. The blue that comes down out of the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River that heads down toward the Dead Sea where John the Baptist and some of those events were happening earlier on. Down a little bit lower left is where you would go to come to Jerusalem. And so right up there where that flag is and where the arrow is pointing is the area where Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount. So he's at the north side of the Sea of Galilee. We call it a sea, but really Galilee is more of a lake. And it's a lake that sits down in a bowl surrounded by mountains. I have a picture, and it's very blurry. It's kind of hard to see, but I want to show it to you. This location right here is the hill on which Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount. So as you're looking at the screen, you are looking south. You're looking south across the Sea of Galilee. And the land from the bottom of the picture is actually the top of the hill you go there today, there's a beautiful church that they built there, the Church of the Beatitudes. You look down, and Jesus would have been up on top of the hill so that his voice would have carried down onto the people who were sitting down below. And so this is the area where Jesus spoke the Sermon on the Mount, just so you can kind of get an image of it in your mind. Go back to those verses, guys. Thanks for, thanks for dropping the lights there to be able to see that. Now, it says he went up on a mountainside. I know that that by itself doesn't seem like a big deal, but here's why it's a big deal. Many centuries before, God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and God chose a man named Moses who would lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses led the people out of Egypt. He led them through the water across the Red Sea, He led them into the wilderness where they would face these trials and temptations. And you remember what Moses did next? He went up on a mountainside and he received a word from the Lord that he would present to the people. When we get to Jesus' story in the Gospel of Matthew, after Jesus is born, do you remember where Jesus' family went? They went to Egypt. And then God brought them out of Egypt, and Jesus went through the waters of the Jordan River as he was baptized. And then where did he go after that? He went into the wilderness, where he was tempted and he was tried. And then where does he go after that? He goes up on a mountain. But here's the difference. When Jesus went up on the mountain, notice what he did. He sat down. Moses, when he went up on the mountain, he received the word from the Lord and then he brought it back down to the people. Jesus goes up on the mountain and he sits down in the position of a religious teacher and then he speaks the word of God 
not just as a word received from God, he speaks the word as God with them, as the Son of God there with them. Moses was a servant in God's house. Jesus was the Son of God who had come to speak to the people and say, this is what it looks like to be God's people. This is what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. Since the beginning of 2015, we've been talking about next steps. What is your next step that you're going to take in following after Jesus? Let me make it really easy for you right now. (laughs) The next steps that we're going to take in following Jesus is we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to say, what does it mean to live in God's kingdom? What does it mean to be a part of God's people? And then by God's strength and by God's power, what does it mean to live, live these verses out in our lives? Because let's be honest, the verses, the words in the Sermon on the Mount are difficult. There are some things that Jesus says that makes us scratch our head. There are some things that Jesus said that makes our stomach hurt. There are some things that Jesus said that we just flat out don't understand what he means by them. And so we are going to look at these verses and we're going to ask, Lord, where are you leading us? What kind of life are you calling us to live? But I want to show you something really amazing that Matthew does here. And this, this kind of makes the Sermon on the Mount come alive and, and explains what Matthew is doing in giving us this passage of Scripture. In Matthew chapter 4, so you really probably don't even have to change a page in your Bible. Maybe in your phone you'd have to scroll up a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, look at what it says there. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now turn over to Matthew chapter 9. If you turn over just a couple of pages to Matthew chapter 9. And at the very end of that chapter, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, if you look up at the screen, you can notice that those words are almost identical. What Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and what he writes in chapter 9, verse 35, are almost identical. Did Matthew run out of things to say? Is he just repeating himself at this point? You know, what's going on? Here's what Matthew is doing. You notice in these passages, it says, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news. These are the things that Jesus spoke. Well, what kind of things did Jesus speak? Well, he spoke the things that are found in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. After it says that he taught and proclaimed, it says he healed every disease and sickness among the people. Here's the really amazing thing. Here's the cool thing about how the Bible works. Do you know what you find in Matthew's chapter 8 and 9? You find Jesus healing people, 
curing sicknesses, doing all these powerful things. And so what Matthew does in chapter 4, verse 23, is he says this is what Jesus does. He teaches these things, and he does powerful works. And then in chapters 5, 6, 7, he says this is what Jesus taught. Chapters 8 and 9, this is what Jesus did. End of chapter 9, he comes back and he puts a bookend on it. And he says, see, I told you. Jesus said these things. Jesus did these things. What does it have to do with our lives? What it has to do with our lives is that when we say as a church that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus, we're saying that our Christianity impacts our words and it impacts our actions. And when we look at the life of Jesus and we think about the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount does two different things. It says this is what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. And it also says, and this is what it looks like to follow the king. Because if we're not careful, we'll buy into this form of Christianity that says if you'll do the things on the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't really matter who Jesus is. Just do good things and life will be okay. But it doesn't work that way. And then other people fall into the opposite trap. And Samantha did a good job of reminding us this this morning. We fall into this trap that says, you know what, that's cool that Jesus is powerful and he does all these things, but it doesn't really impact the way that I live my life. I don't really have to worry about what that looks like. No, both of those things are true. Jesus is the all-powerful king who heals people and cures sicknesses and does these incredible miracles. And Jesus is also the great teacher who comes along and says, this is what it looks like to live as part of God's kingdom. And so as we get ready to study the Sermon on the Mount over the next few weeks, my question for you is, are you following the king? Do you realize, do we realize the power that is found in Jesus Christ? And if we do, are we really living as part of God's kingdom? And if we want to know what that looks like, as we want to know what those next steps look like, it's found in these words in the Sermon on the Mount. On the back of your bulletin, if you turn your bulletin over really quickly, and this is the last thing we'll do, and then I'll get ready to pray for us. The back of your bulletin, you can see there's a reading plan there that will take you through the Sermon on the Mount over the next several weeks. Let me encourage you. Let me, let me go so far as to even beg you. If you're not in the habit of reading the Bible, maybe it's been years since you read the Bible, uh, and, and you just say, I don't know where to start. Here's where you can start. Take this home with you. There's only a few verses that we're going to read every week to prepare us for what we're going to study the next Sunday, and make that a part of your life. All the time asking, God, what does it look like for me to be part of your kingdom? Am I following Jesus as king, and am I living as part of the kingdom? I'm going to pray for us right now. After I pray for us, Corey is going to come up, and he's going to lead us in a song, a closing song that speaks of Jesus' greatness, that speaks of what we believe about who Jesus is and how he impacts our lives. During that time, as Corey's singing, if you just need someone to pray for you, I'll be here at the front. If you just need to spend a few minutes right where you are, just sitting there and praying and and asking for the Lord's work in your life, you can do that right there.
Let me pray for you um, as, and pray for us as Corey comes up and, and leads us in this closing song. God, we thank you for these words through your son, Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, we're told not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. God, so often we can just hear things like this and say, well, that sounds good, and then we go on and we don't see how the gospel impacts all of our lives. God, I pray that First Baptist Church would be kingdom people. We are not here for our own popularity. We are not here to fulfill a ritual. We are here because we want to know what it means to worship Jesus as king, and we want to know what it means to live as part of your kingdom. And so, Father, I pray that you would continue to guide us in that direction. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.